This is episode 104 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Life certainly has some interesting twists and turns, and I think that's what this episode is all about. Last summer, I took a long and unexpected break from podcasting, during which time a listener of AA Beyond Belief discovered Sober Speak, a podcast hosted by John M. from the Dallas, Texas area. John learned about us from this listener, sent me an email, and I made a new friend. So I guess that unexpected summer break did some good after all. Later in today's episode, John shares about another interesting twist and turn concerning his relationship with his mother. It's a story you don't want to miss. Now heads up, John's a believer and he does talk about God, but he's interested and supportive of us secularists in AA, and I'll be appearing on his podcast in the near future. I have to say it was a good experience to speak with a believer, an AA traditionalist as it were, and to find common ground. The language of the heart, it seems, connects us all, no matter what we may or may not believe. John, how you doing? I am doing very well. I've been looking forward to this uh, uh, interview. I appreciate you having me on today. Nice to, uh, as we have uh, talked offline about a little bit, it's nice to talk to another podcaster. Well, thank you. You know, as I was telling you, I was listening to one of your episodes, and it was Kind of funny, a, a listener wrote you and said, hey, AA Beyond Belief hasn't posted a podcast for a while, so I thought I'd check you out. <laughs> so I guess that's how you discovered us. Yeah, I asked them how they had uh, found me, uh, and they said uh, it was one time, like exactly what you said, yeah. uh, AA Beyond Belief had not posted a podcast in a while, and so I went to look you up, Yep. and uh, lo and behold, found another podcast. It was yeah. a, good, a good find. And I've, I, uh, I've actually listened to I don't know, at least six, seven, eight of your episodes, and I enjoy them very much. Well, thank you. Thank you. I I enjoy doing them. Uh, You know, it's kind of, I felt guilty for that long period of time I wasn't doing any, because I've been pretty good religiously about, you know, posting every week. But man, something happened this summer. I just really needed to take a break. And unfortunately, I didn't announce it because it wasn't really planned. It just kind of happened. I just kind of I just kind of needed to take some time off, I think. so. That's the way it all works. You know, it's ebb and flow, up and down. Sometimes you need to rest and come back to have that good energy for what you're doing and what you're creating. And in fact, I've heard you talk about the uh, uh, finding something very uh, uh, profound within yourself, just the creative piece of what a podcast does and how it makes you think outside the box. And uh, I have found that same thing. I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's really done a lot for my recovery and my program. And I've learned so much from all the people I've um, spoken with over the last couple of years. So it's been an amazing experience. So let's talk about you. One thing I usually like to do here just to get to know somebody, the best way I think to get to know somebody, especially in, in uh, recovery is through their their story. And I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of a background, you know, the, the, the traditional story, how you got into recovery. You got to kind of what what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. I understand. Um, well, first of all, I've been sober since uh, May 29th of 1989, and uh, you know, it's, <laughs> and I started to say, and I'm going to say this for me, right? Uh, by the grace of God, and uh, we, you and I have. I think you've been sober about the same time. Is that correct? When when did you get sober, John? July of '88. Okay, so Jill, so we're we're right in that same area, mm-hmm. and that's why I was so interested in talking to you because we've been sober about the same amount of time, <laughs> yep. and we've had, uh, I'm sure, in a lot of ways, similar experiences mm-hmm. with Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm sure in some ways, uh, uh, some differences. Yep. But uh, and it's very interesting to me because, in fact, I was at a meeting today uh, at a at a twelve o'clock noon here, and I'm from the Dallas, Texas area. I was uh, at a meeting at noon, and we were talking about Tradition 3, and it made me think about this particular podcast that I was coming on, and that is, uh, I remember um, there was one time, this was probably around 86, uh, maybe a little bit before that, 
I was in my cups one night. I uh, called up the inner group, the local inner group here in uh, the Dallas, Texas area. And uh, I don't remember anything from that conversation except for one line. The gentleman who answered the phone said to me, he said, the only requirement for membership is the desire to quit drinking. The only requirement. And that really caught my attention. I'm thankful that he didn't say the only requirement for membership is that you come in and you do a searching a fearless mm-hmm. moral inventory of yourself, and then you go out and make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others, right? He, <laughs> he stuck to the traditions, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful. Maybe someday uh, I'll meet that gentleman uh, at the meeting in the sky if there is such a thing, uh, but uh, I am uh, so thankful that he did that. And so... Oh, gosh. In regards to my story, uh, there is, uh, you know, where do you start? You know, like, as you know, how do you always cover uh, uh, 30 years in just a few minutes? Uh, but, uh, you know, um, I can tell you that uh, I was uh, like a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And by that, I mean that I was a I was a I was a loner. And my favorite, my absolute favorite song and still is one of my favorite songs today is uh, Desperado by uh, the Eagles. And I can remember I used to listen to that song and I would travel down the highway at high rates of speed and uh, I would be drinking my tequila, which I absolutely love. Cuervo Gold was my thing. And I would be drinking that uh, and and I would uh, just start bawling my eyes out when it got to that crescendo saying, you know, you better let somebody love you before it is too late. And uh that's probably not the best way to drive your vehicle down the highway, but uh, nonetheless, I was doing that. And uh, so I uh, um, somehow, some way, found Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you know, there were a few steps that led there. And, uh, y- you know, I-, I was in and out from 86 to 89, John. And, uh, oh gosh, that was probably the worst three years of my life. And uh, every time that I would go back out, um, I would say to myself, just one more night of fun, and then I will start over tomorrow. And, you know, th- that sounded good in theory, uh, but it was never that clean. Uh, it was usually a few months, uh, and I would get back in, maybe a year I would get back in, and a lot of damage and a lot of destruction uh, in the meantime. And so uh, that went on for several years. And, and I, I do want to go back to kind of my roots, if you will. And, you know, I hate it when somebody gets on a, uh, up from the podium and says, you know, well, I was born in, well, <laughs> you're like, oh, how old are you? How quick is it going to get up to the, uh, you know, to a real time here? But uh, um, this is an important part is that uh, I, my, my parents uh, met in Scotland, which is where my mother is from. She had a, an eighth grade education over there, and she met my dad, who was in the uh, Air Force. And then uh, they moved over here to the States, and uh, I was actually born in Bangor, Maine. I don't know much about it. I just know I was there for like six months or so. And then as time went on, when my parents were, uh, I got to be, I think it was five or six, they split up. And you know, you hear a lot of times people split up, uh, you know, have go through divorce. And uh, But with my mom, uh, you know, I was a single, uh, she was a single mom. I was an only child. We grew up, uh, or you know, we we kind of tracked, we set a track for ourselves, and then um, around my, uh, I, I guess when I was like 10, 11, 12, something like that, I started to notice that I started to notice that my mom was not uh, like uh, every other mom, so to speak. In other words, she had. Um, I, I would notice she would go to to unlock a door. Or, or to lock the door at night, and she would go check, check, check. She would go to turn off the stove, and she would say check, check, check. And and it wasn't just three times; it was forty, fifty, sixty times over. Sometimes a hundred. And you know, she had a, and she would do that with locks, uh, you know, on her car and uh, all, all kinds of things. And so she had a true. You know, we didn't know what it was called back then, but she had true obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, people tell me I am a OCD and, you know, use it in kind of a joke uh, kind of uh, fashion, but she had true obsessive compulsive disorder. And then when I got to be a teenager, 
um, she started to, well, she'd always had a kind of a, uh, uh, she always talked about her weight. I'll put it that way. And uh, in fact, she used to say, you know, she was from uh, Great Britain and she would always say that she got something from a, from a queen over there. And uh, they said, like, you can never be too rich or too thin. And she kind of took that to heart. And so she would, uh, on a consistent basis throughout my teenage years, get down to the 70s or so with her weight. And uh, it was something that, uh, you know, and it was one of those um, things where she would go out to the pool and she thought she looked uh, absolutely fantastic. And you could see all of her bones sticking out of her body. And uh, everyone else knew that it, there was something wrong with that, but it was very, very hard to explain uh, oh. to her. So she was true uh, anorexic. Uh, she was bulimic. And then as we started to get a little bit older, she had words that were going through her brain like death. And uh, we would sit around the kitchen table and talk about suicide and what she had considered that day. And so all that to say this, and by the way, I, I, my mom was doing the absolute best with what she could. And This is not a you know, some sort of, uh, I'm not trying to blame her for anything, but it was a, a perfect vacuum, if you will, for somebody like me who had a predisposition to alcohol. So when I found that alcohol when I was about 17, I was off to the races. Uh, I had never been real popular in school, you know, uh, and, but when I found it, it was a solution. I mean, it worked and it worked very well. And all of a sudden, I was very popular in high school, and uh, a lot of things were going my way. And, uh, um, you know, I got, uh, I, I just knew a lot of people. I fit in with a lot of different groups, and uh, um, it was all because of alcohol. So it definitely, like I said, was a solution for me. So we went through that for about, uh, I, so I drank for probably 10 years, and, uh, you know, I, I don't get into it a lot just because of I like to respect the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you will, but uh, there were a lot of outside issues, if you will, that I was uh, involved with. Uh, you know, I dealt a lot of drugs, and uh, I'm sure that ramped up my progression and taking those, because when you would take those drugs... Uh, one of the only ways to deal with it, for me at least, and to be able to come down and be able to kind of level out was to drink a lot of liquor, a lot of alcohol. And so that's, um, uh, and then I found, uh, like I said, Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time in 1986, uh, went in and out for three years. Uh, those were the worst three years of my life. Uh, and finally, in 1989, I had a sponsor. Uh, who is still my sponsor today? I tell him he's a temporary sponsor, even though it's only been 29 <laughs> years. Wow. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just, I said, I'm going to try you out, you know. And he told me the other day, he said, You better, uh, I would, uh, I would advise taking me on as your full time sponsor before I actually die. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, he is, uh, he's a good man, and uh, we've been through a lot together, you know. As you know, I'm sure I haven't heard your whole story. I'm going to hear your whole story eventually because I want to have you on my show, but uh, we've been through so many ups and downs together. And uh, so that's kind of the, the, the basis of my story, getting me into alcoholics. And Oh, and I meant to say about that sponsor, he told me, he says, Hey, have you ever worked the steps? And I was like, ah, I could have had a V8, you know? Uh, <laughs> and so we went through the steps. And ever since that time, I have not had to have by the grace of God, a drink of uh, a drink of alcohol, and I'm uh, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, very thankful for AA. It's changed my life uh, in many ways. But that's basically my launch into Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you know, one thing I could relate to with you pretty well was um, the situation when you were growing up. I my mother um, didn't have OCD, but she was um, seriously um, depressed. And uh, she was um, medicated a lot and spent a lot of time in her room asleep and had fits of anger and, and so forth. And so there was a lot of um, yelling and screaming and instability in my household. And I actually discovered alcohol even younger. Um, I was like maybe eight years old when I came across it. And it immediately was the fix I needed for, I guess, the fear and the uncertainty that I was going through. Um, and like you, I'm not blaming my parents for anything, but that was just that was just the situation, and it just kind of carried on for the rest of my life and kind of progressed from there. So 
I relate to that, you know, I, and I think that's a common thread that runs through a lot of our stories is something happening early in our lives that we begin using alcohol to mask the pain or hide the pain or numb the pain in some way. Yeah. You know, I remember after I'd gotten sober, I was uh, trying to, I was, I was about to go to a, uh, uh, an AA meeting one day and I was in the office and I was getting a cup of coffee before I actually went. And a lady came up to me and she said to me, uh, um, Oh, do you drink caffeinated or decaffeinated coffee? And I was like, I don't even, I, I said, I drink coffee essentially because I like the effect produced by right. caffeine, you know? Right. And, uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's always have that I, I don't drink decaffeinated coffee. I understand non-alcoholic beer and, uh, you know, it's really kind of funny. I, I love coffee now, but um, I never was much of a coffee drinker until I got into AA. Me neither. Right. I, and I didn't, and I didn't uh, eat candy and sugar and all that right. kind of stuff either. So all of a sudden I was like eating desserts like they were going out of style. I didn't understand that. You know, somebody kind of explained it to me later. But uh, yeah, I just uh, started. But, you know, I wasn't getting, uh, I wasn't getting pulled over at traffic stops for and, you know, it's funny, too, I um, people at work will see me drink a lot of coffee and they'll think, man, doesn't that just kind of rev you up or make you whatever? And, I'm, you know, coffee for me is is like a calming thing. It, 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 it's a, it, it. Yeah. It reminds me of AA, I think. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's just something that, you know, I, obviously I shouldn't be using it like this. But like you say, no one's throwing me in jail for drinking too much coffee. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I'm OK with that. So, you know, another thing you said that. I could identify with was the third tradition. When I walked into my first AA meeting, they had the steps on the wall and they had the traditions on the wall. And my deal was I was so young, I was only 25 years old. And during my years of drinking, I just couldn't believe I was an alcoholic because I just felt I had to be a lot older. So um, when I walked into a when I walked into that first meeting and I saw that step on the wall, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. That was just the perfect description of where I was at at that moment in my life. And then I saw that third tradition that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, and I had that. Yeah, yeah. And that was all I needed. That was all I, had I that needed. First step in the third tradition. That's right. And you know, I, I am. I don't know how much you want to digress in this, but I heard one of your episodes where the gentleman was in uh, out in the Denver area was struggling with getting a his meeting listed. And you know, I'm not. I'm not an atheist. I'm not an agnostic. But I'm. I'm. I'm on his side uh, because I think that is. You know, ridiculous. Uh, in other words, you know, if you have people coming into the meeting and they have a desire to quit drinking, they should be able to open up a, a, a group. And uh, I, um, I, you know, you got my support on that. Not, not like it helps, but you have my support, the guy out in Denver. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, you know, it was funny when you um, you found out that our site was kind of um, our our niche audience is uh, you know secular people in AA or agnostics, atheists, and freethinkers in AA, and you thought, hmm, I wonder if if I really going to fit in there. But you know what I have found, John, is that we have more in common um, us <laughs> than, than oh, not. Oh, for sure. I've been listening to your episodes, and every time I listen to it, I, I think, you know, this is not any different really they just don't have no. a deity you know and right. I, I don't want to put words to what you right. believe or anybody else believe but my perception of it is well they're doing the exact same things and exactly. they just don't have a deity so to speak that they believe in and hey god bless them i mean it's better than people right. having dwi is that on the road exactly you know? exactly yeah and i and i came to that conclusion too that you know i just kind of for me it got to be to where the program for me is practical. It's the things that I do. And when I look, when I listen to a believer um, and they're sharing their story, you know, the only, the only, the only thing is different is how we explain the experience and what happened. That's correct. And for some people it's, you know, they were empowered by something outside themselves or a God that they believe in that's important to them that empowered them to change and to do these things. And I was empowered by the group of people in the room, the people that cared about me and supported me. So, you know, it's really no different. Yeah, I started to say <laughs> really. amen, brother, but I don't think that's yeah. a, an appropriate <laughs> that's okay. response. That's okay, actually. That's okay. Yeah, so I was really happy to have you on to talk about that. And um, because I think it's interesting. And I, and I really, you know, one thing that we wanted to do early on and in, in when we started the podcast on the site is we really wanted to reach out and kind of build bridges. Um, to others, because, um, you know, a lot of 
people in recovery didn't really know that us atheists and agnostics even existed in the room. Yeah, I I, I had no. Well, okay. so here's the deal. And this is just kind of an opinion deal. And and I didn't I didn't realize I was going to go this way, but it came to my mind. I just want to talk about it. And that is, I have heard, right, there are, you hear this in the rooms, and you've been around long enough, and I'm sure you have heard this, right? And that is, people will say, well, there's atheists and agnostics, and there's people in the rooms, but, you know, I knew one long time ago, and they didn't have anything I want, right? And, and, I, and <laughs> yeah, I, right. You, have you heard that before? Yeah. And, and yes. I always kind of cringe, right? Because here's yeah. the deal. Well, you can say that about people who are atheists, agnostic, but I know a lot of people who are atheists or who are not atheists and agnostic who don't have anything of what I want. I, <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it just, it kind of cuts both ways. And so, yeah. and, and I got to admit when I found your podcast and started listening to it and realized that there were, uh, that, that there was a larger subculture than I even, that, that I, than I knew. I thought, well, this is great. You know, I want I want these folks to have a place to go to, uh, to feel comfortable, to feel safe, to be able to share, to be with people who are like minded, and and so that's that's the main reason I want to have you on my podcast because I can guarantee you the the vast majority of the people that listen to my podcast are believers, if you will. But I want them to know the ones who who are not believers, I want them to know there's another option out there, right? And you can plug in in different ways. And it's all about carrying the message to the man and woman who still suffer uh, and getting them sober. You know, for most of my time in AA, I I just was very traditional. You know, um, I don't know what I believed, I but I went through the motions and prayed and everything like that. But I I never knew about that these agnostic meetings even existed, and they've been going on since 1975. So after about 25 years of sobriety, when I realized and accepted that I'm really an atheist and tried to understand the program um, differently and started expressing that, um, I was having some difficulty and feeling not really comfortable. And that's when I learned about these meetings. And it's really amazing that um, over the last really four or five years now, since 2014, the number of our meetings has been growing exponentially because we're so well connected on the internet um, through this podcast, this site, Aagnostica, other sites, Facebook. You know, it's just amazing how social media has helped. You know, kind of bring us together and help us organize a little bit. So that's fantastic. And did you realize you were going to be, you know, and and I'm getting into questions I want to start asking you when you're on my podcast, but I don't mean to to derail this. But did you realize you were going to be the leader of, or you know, one of the leaders of a movement, so to speak, when you started this? And I always feel comfortable hearing that. But um, I did not know. I didn't. I've never been. I've always been kind of a quiet person. Um, uh, I never thought I'd be doing a podcast. Um, but what happened is I went to this conference in Santa Monica, California of agnostics and atheists in AA. And it really, it really made AA come to life for me again. And I met people, primarily some great people up in Canada. And one of those people had a website, AA Agnostica. And he helped me a lot and helped me start AA Beyond Belief. And a lot of other things are going on. I just ended up starting this podcast when I, about the time I started this website in September of 2015. And uh, it's been amazing. But that's one th- question I was going to ask you. How in the world did you ever get into podcasting? What made you do this? Right. And uh, it's it, almost like an accident. Now, see, and, and here's the thing. I had, okay, about this time last year, I went to a, um, uh, we have a, a holiday party here for, you know, our AA group. And it was pretty big and there were a lot of people there. And there was this one gentleman there. His name was, or still is, Alex, Alex Z. And Alex Z is one of these guys that uh, absolutely love him. And he'd been sober for, I think, a couple, three years at that point. And he always sits uh, in, in the back of the room, but not, it's not really where he sits. It's more of like when he gets called on, he would always have very short and abbreviated shares or he would pass. And Alex is a, he is a, he's a Muslim. Uh, he's from Iran. And so I, I kind of cornered him, both me and my wife cornered him at the, uh, at the Christmas party. 
And I said, Alex, you know, I, I just I want to know more about your story and where you're from and what you have going on. And he started telling me this story. And it, it involved, it, it was back, you remember the, the Iranian hostages and all that? Yeah. Well, he was living there then, and his father had to basically smuggle or come up with some sort of ruse to get the family out of the country. He had to pay a lot of money to do it. It was, uh, and they got them to Germany. And once they get to Germany, they didn't know where they were going to go. Then he came to LA and he had to read the, quote, Persian version of the big book. And all this stuff that he went through, I was like, Alex, nobody knows any of this stuff. I mean, this, and we're on the way home. And my wife said to me, she said, that could be a movie. And I said, that could be a movie. (laughs) And and so it it was going through my head over the next couple of nights of, you know, how can I get Alex? At first I thought, well, maybe I should get him to go to groups to tell his story. But but he, he, but he's kind of reserved, you know, he's just not one of these guys. And then I thought, how else could I do this? And I thought, what about a podcast? And then I go, podcast? I know nothing about podcasts. Why would <laughs> right. I want to do a podcast? You know what? Like, how do you, I mean, what do you do? You get a mic and then, I mean, how does it get out on the internet? And as you know, there's much more to this than meets the eye. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, especially when you're first getting started, you know, it's like, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, you're doing the best pick up bits and pieces from there. But so, so I started the the podcast and Alex is like number the, the second episode that I did. There was a guy that I grabbed out of my meeting one day. He was visiting from Mumbai and it was like at the end of December. (laughs) I said, Hey, will you come over here? I'm trying to do something. He said, sure, whatever. And I recorded him and I, you know, almost used it as a, as a test to put it out there. I uh, didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, oh, look, this publishes. And then I said, okay, I'm going to get Alex in and do that. And so at that point, uh, and then a buddy of mine said, he, uh, he said, you ought to do it once a week. I, once a week? Are you kidding me? You know how much it took to get one thing published here? I'll be once a month if I'm lucky. But we just hit our, I noticed you just hit your uh, 100th episode, which is fantastic. That is great. Uh, and we just hit... Uh, my, uh, we just hit the, the, the 50th episode. Oh goodness. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I kind of picked up the pace a little bit and I was able to get uh, quite a few published throughout the year. So that's what started it for me. And right now I'm just kind of doing it one week at a time. See how it all goes. So tell me, do you, has podcasting, especially podcasting about recovery, has it, has it changed you in any way? It has, you know, as you know, John, too many Johns here, right? As as you know, John, John S, right? John S. Uh, As you know, John S, I, um, you know, I've been to, I mean, over my first four or five years, I I was going to seven to 10 meetings a week. Now I still go to six meetings a week. And you know, you, you just hear basically the same thing, right? Uh, you know, over and, and now in different ways and you get to see more people recover and it's great to see the light come on for people and, you know, work with different guys and such, but, um, you know, you need a little something to, to spice it up. In fact, I can tell you when things kind of go a little bit awry in our group, you know, like in other words, you know, somebody says something they're not supposed to say, or they, <laughs> right. you know, they break right. one of the traditions or something. I was like, Oh good. A little bit of excitement here. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, uh, we had a guy come in the other day. He was sharing, Oh gosh, I can't even say what he was sharing. It was so inappropriate and we had to deal with that and such, but, and he was drunk and high and, you know, nothing wrong with people being drunk and high meeting. but anyway, we had to take him outside and somebody had a gun pulled and all this sort of stuff. Oh, so, yeah, so it makes it fun, you know? Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it, it did, this has helped me to kind of, how would I have met somebody like you, right? Uh, how would I have, met, there's a lot of people, I do a lot of remote interviews as well. So it's really helped me to dig in a little bit, see things from a different perspective. I listen to other people's podcasts, including yours. And um, yeah, but, and all the guests, right? All, I mean, you know, I knew these people, I know a lot of them, but for me, to be able to sit down many times, I, I do a lot of uh, uh, in studio is what I call it, a podcast, which basically means my guest bedroom with a mic up there. Um, I do a lot of, uh, 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 you know, person, uh, you know, eyeball to eyeball types of interviews. And a lot of these people I've known for a long time. And to hear them talk about things that I had no idea was going on in their life or where they came from, uh, it, it's drawn me closer to each and every one of them. 
you know, something about going through the editing process of uh, when I of one of my interviews that these people's stories they get they get sunk into me because I, I listen so I have to listen so carefully I listen I've learned to listen at, during the interview process but also during the editing process and I swear to God every single story of every single person I've spoken to is still in my head and I can tell you oh someone might say oh so what are agnostic meetings like in South Africa and I can tell you what's going on over there and I can tell you about Japan and I can tell you about <laughs> you know what's going on in all these different places and also I've learned about um how you know different approaches to the program different approaches to or different thoughts on uh, and experiences on the steps and that's helped me as well so yeah it's incredible <laughs> for sure yeah the internet's an amazing thing how it's opened up the world for us and connected us in so many ways. So John S, let me let me circle back to my mom there because I always talk about her and it's always important to tell the uh, the other side of the story, so to speak. So she, like I said, obviously she had some pretty severe mental illness, and uh, she used to. There's a place here in Dallas. Uh, it's in North Dallas, and she we was basically kind of a if you want to call it a bag lady. She would walk the streets. She was very thin. She would have, she had dark jet black hair, which she would dye and she would shave it with a number two razor and then she would wear all black clothes and then she would, she would walk the streets over there. And, uh, my, my friends would see her and they knew who she was, you know, it would kind of, um, it would stand out and, you know, I was trying to get on with my life. And, uh, as you can imagine, it was, you know, somebody in their teens and early twenties, it was just embarrassing. And, um, so I got on with my life, and um, there's many different phases of this, but when I got sober, I had probably not seen her in two to three years, and I went up to my sponsor, the one I still have today that I was telling you about, Mr. Bob, and I said, hey, Bob, I want to go out and I want to make some amends to my mother, and he was hesitant about this, um, but he said, okay, I'll, I will let you go, but on one condition, you keep your side of the street clean. And so I went and I found her. I knew where she'd be walking in the streets. I saw her and I yelled out to her from a distance. I said, Mom, it's me. It's your son, Johnny. She used to call me Johnny. And uh, she looked at me. Um, first, she didn't recognize me, but then she kind of clued in on who I was. And she said, I hate you. Get out of my life. I never want to see you again. And she, she turned on her heels and she walked away. And so I went back to my sponsor. Obviously, that didn't go as I was hoping that it would go. Didn't even really get to talk to her. And he said, she's emotionally unavailable. Just leave it alone and get on with your life. So I went back to school and um, I had no one in my family. I, I take that back. There's one person on my dad's side of the family who graduated at one time, but nobody on my mother's side ever even thought about graduating from college. And so I went back and I got my degree. And now I'm going to fast forward you about two years. And uh, one day I'm driving down the highway and I said to myself, you know, it's time. It's time to go find her. And I had my, uh, my graduation announcements in my car and I thought I'm going to give her a graduation announcement. And, you know, maybe just maybe she'll be proud of me now. You know, our mommies and daddies, we, we always want their affection no matter how off kilter they are. And so I went to go find her. And I went walking on those same streets because um, I'd heard that she was still down in there and um, I couldn't find her. And so I went into a couple of the stores and I asked if they had seen her. They said, you know, we see your mom here all the time, but it's very interesting. You know, she has not been here in a couple of weeks and we don't know where she is. You may want to check on her. So I called around to all the hospitals. One of the hospitals I called was uh, Parkland. Um, a lot of people in the nation know Parkland as the place where John F. Kennedy uh, died. It's the city hospital in, uh, in uh, Dallas. And so I called down there and they said, well, we can't confirm or deny that she is still, that she is here. But if we are able to, you know, we'll call you back. They called me back. I think it was less than a week or so. I get confused with some of the time, but they called back and they said, she is here. She has confirmed that it is okay to reach out to her. Would you like to come in and visit her? So I said, so I had to think about it, but I went down to the hospital. And I don't know if you've ever seen the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. 
it literally looked like that. This was a basically a state psychiatric ward, and uh, I went in there, and there were people wandering around aimlessly. My mom was there. She was sitting at a, a table. She was 76, 78 pounds at the time, and uh, she looked over at the window behind her, told me that she was thinking about throwing herself out that window. And after we had a little bit of a conversation, I was able to, you know, just, I was just talking to her and telling her about my life. And she said to me, she said to me, John, and it's something I'd never heard her say in her life before. She said, you are different for you, John. Is it that God that you talk about? And I said, I believe so, mom. I think it is. Uh, And I said to her, I said, listen, I don't know what it was between me and you. But whatever it was, it's not with me anymore. And I want you to be happy and joyous and free. And I don't know how you're going to get there, but I'm hoping that you will somehow, some way, be able to find peace in your life. And so um, we went on from there and uh, uh, she got out of the hospital. By the way, I found out when she was there, they had used her, you know, I call it like a guinea pig. And this is nothing against the hospital, but they would bring her in before the classes. You know, she was there on a free ride, I guess. And they would have people study her and ask her questions. They hooked her up to machines, study her brain because she was very interesting to them. And they wanted to figure out, you know, what got her to where she was. And so she was not in good shape. So she got out of the hospital. They got her on some medicine. I, at the beginning, was unable to have contact with her just because I was concerned about, you know, some of the volatility of our relationship. But as time went on, lo and behold, she started to get better and she started to see things in a different way. We, we were able to have more frequent visits. We started a relationship. She kept on her medicine. She was doing much better. She started to eat. I wouldn't say like a normal person, but she gained weight back. She didn't look she didn't look like she was about to have, she didn't look like she had one foot in the grave. And she started to work. Uh, and there was a lot of things that she started to do. In fact, one year that she got uh, uh, her uh, sister, my aunt, gave her a car and she got some false teeth and she got some new glasses. And she said that was the best year of her entire life. And so, you know, it's all perspective. Wow. Yeah. So that went on for probably eight years or so, eight to 10 years. And then one time uh, we were living in the same city and I got a call from her one night and she said, there's something going on with my stomach. And uh, so I went and I picked her up and I took her to the emergency room and uh, she seemed to be doing okay. Uh, They got her kind of stabilized and uh, she was there for a couple of days and I was kind of going in and out. And she was a tough, very tough Scottish lady. And she was in a lot of pain on the second day, and I was calling the doctor, and I said to the doctor, I said, hey, listen, she is in a lot of pain. You've got to come help us out. And he didn't come quick enough, and uh, I went into her room, and I put my hand out, and I held her hand, and she uh, she smiled at me, and then her little eyes rolled up into the back of her head, mm. and I uh, went out to get a nurse. They hit something. It was called a uh, code blue. I had never experienced anything like that. There was like 15 or so um, medics of different types that came running into the room and they tried to save her. My wife called me uh, and uh, I was sitting there watching all this. I picked up the cell phone while I'm watching it and uh, my wife said, I think I have found somebody to help your mom. And I said, it's too late. I'm watching her die right in front of me. And they came out and they told me that she had passed. And I was the one who gave the eulogy, John, for her, uh, hmm. for her uh, funeral. And I can tell you that I felt grief, grief, grief beyond hmm. any. I, I didn't even know grief like that was possible. And uh, I can say that um, um, when I went in there and I gave the eulogy, I said, you know, I felt I felt tons of things this week, but none of them was regret. And I'll, I'll just close it out with this, uh, at least the story about her and just saying that, you know, all those years when we were separated, I used to go in and look at all these Mother's Day's cards and uh, I would look at them and absolutely none of them worked. I hated Mother's Day. 
Um, and I would think I just need a blank card to send to her um, just to say happy Mother's Day, you know, love John or Johnny. And uh, but during those years we had back together, so to speak, I remember walking into the, the drugstore to pick up a, a Mother's Day card and every single one of them worked. Uh, and I, I and when when I when she died and I was over there cleaning out her apartment, she had a shoebox and she had saved every single one of those Mother's Day cards. Oh, and that's that, sweet. Um, you know, written to her. So, and and the whole as that relates to recovery, to recovery, I, I just want to say, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, from my perspective. It's a process, right? You get in, you follow the process, and this is nothing that I was looking for. And you don't know what is going to come of the process. But the idea is that you just get in and you follow, uh, whether you're doing it from an a, a, a atheist agnostic perspective, a free thinker perspective, or a believer perspective. The idea is just to follow the process. And there's a lot of unintended consequences, both good and bad, that will come from that, you know, and I never know exactly what it's going to be. I think that, I think to a large extent, uh, recovery for me has been about those hard times, not drinking no matter what, and coming out on the other side to see what happens. And I'm often surprised, like that story, you know, had you gone back out drinking, you never would have had that experience, that reconciliation experience with your mother and seen that part of her. I've got a similar situation with my, my younger brother. He's got schizoaffective disorder and he's homeless down in Florida. And for the longest time he was in jail. And so around Thanksgiving, I thought, you know, I might uh, see if the jail will let me talk to him. And it turned out that he was released. And then he was arrested again and released um, for like, uh, when you're homeless, you, you sometimes uh, people get into like abandoned homes and stuff, and the police will arrest them for um, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, so but you know, um, I, I'm not, a, I'm not even at the point where I would, I'm even thinking about, you know, escaping that or drinking. But if I were to drink that, I'm never going to know how this this turns out. And the way that I, I'm dealing with it, there's a certain amount of detachment because when someone's mentally ill, there's not a lot you can do to help them until they get to a point where you can prove they're a danger to themselves or others. So there's not a lot I can do. But I think sometimes, you know, I just have to believe that there's somebody down there in Florida who might be able to reach him someday. And maybe I'll have a, an experience like you did um, with your mother. You know, um, all, these things are possible. You know, as long as we, as long as we keep putting one foot in front of the other, not drink, you know, God, you know, it's, it's these, it's, it's really the program that has enabled me to learn how to deal with these things, to learn how to detach when I need to, and to get involved when I need to. Right. Not, not easy to know how to do sometimes. No, it's not, you know, uh, when, you know, speaking of the process, I remember another thing that really came out of uh, doing the steps for me is that I used to have these movies that would play in my head, you know, from from some sordid spaces that I had been in uh, when I was drinking. And um, uh, they started to get to where those movies would play more often and they would come up in inopportune times. And when they would come up, I was developing like this uh, twitch, if you will, right? To almost like a, a Tourette syndrome type of a twitch. And it would just take me and it was, uh, I, I couldn't stop the twitch once it began and the movies began to play. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I was in a, a business situation or I was talking to a family member or a friend, you know, I wish it was just always when I was at home. And so I went through the fourth and fifth step, and uh, I remember at the end, one time after I'd done that fifth step, when I had done that fifth step the first time, it was about a month later, a couple months later, and I wasn't thinking about not having the movies play anymore. It wasn't even on my radar. But all of a sudden I said, you know what? Those movies aren't playing in my head anymore. And if they do play, they're, I don't shudder over them, and I don't have twitches over them. And you know, uh, so th that's just one of those unintended consequences that comes from just getting in and following the process. That's right. 
And you know what I've what I've learned over time too is you know the the steps have taken on different meanings for me at different times, and it's been a real evolution. So there's a there's a certain richness I think in in the whole process because it's it can it can be tailored to whatever is going on in your life at the time. You know, in the early days of my of my recovery, it was all about not taking that first drink. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it was about kind of rebuilding my life. Um, it's just, it's just amazing. So, and, and so when I, when I'm in meetings today, I'm, I'm so much more relaxed when I'm listening to a newcomer. You know, I think when I was like two or three years sober, I would get a little, I'd get a little nervous or anxious if somebody wasn't having this very same experience right. that I was. <laughs> but, but now I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's cool. I, I, I've been there before too, you know? So, right. you know, it's, it's kind of fun to see how, how those steps can be tailored to whatever's going on at that particular time. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, 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 it is pretty cool, you know? Um, I, I don't I don't go to very many meetings anymore where there are believers. Um, I do get connected to people in AA that you know go to I guess traditional meetings and so forth uh, through the service structure. I'm really involved with general service and I really enjoy that. So I go to my district in my area, and by doing that, I get to know people in other groups and speak at their meetings and so forth and work with them um, on things involved with the area and the district. And I really enjoy that. But I should really make an effort to try to reach out more by going to some of these meetings and letting them know. And there's 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 a discussion about that within our our community because um, we have we do have these special interest groups for for a reason. But some people feel like you know it's kind of dangerous for us to be siloed like this, and that maybe we should try to build bridges a little bit and connect with others and go to these meetings and let because they're never going to really get to know you unless you start talking. That's to them, true, you know? and that's why I want to have you on my podcast as well, right? I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, you know, like I said, it is. I have uh, I'm I'm repeating myself now, but I like I said, I I have listened to many of your podcasts and it is there's I'm telling you there's a ton more sim, uh, similarities than there are differences just a ton more it's just a matter of not for uh, for either either anyone whether you be an atheist or, the, or or a believer is to is to just allow people to be whoever they are you know and 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 whatever they they want to use to get sober you know I support that you know, whatever works for that person is is what I support. That's right. <laughs> it's nice of you to come on. I I um I don't get to speak with very many other podcasters, and that's something that I would like to start doing more of as well. Because um, there's it's a really it, it is kind of a unique experience, especially podcasting about recovery issues right. and so forth. And so it was like, oh man, it was so nice to be able to talk to someone who has that experience. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, I agree. And likewise, my friend. uh, Have you ever gotten to a point, you know, you've done 50 of these. Have you ever got to a point where it's just kind of hard to do? Um, Or is it just so far just been like, (laughs) you're just, you're just compelled to do it? No, no. It's, uh, there, there have been some efforts where it's much, some weeks where it's much more laborious than others. Uh, Now, I don't mind the recording piece. Um, That to me is, uh, it, it, it brings me energy, but sometimes, I mean, you know, this is a uh, an avocation for me. This is not my vocation, right? I'm sure. I think I've heard you talk about. I have a very much full time job that I'm yeah, you know, taking here. care of during the week, and so there are times where you know it comes to a weeknight or the weekend, and I'd rather be watching a football game or what. You know, I can do both of those at the same time, but I'd rather be just be j- just relaxing, doing something else. Right. And so right. it's the 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 editing part and that getting a published part and you know making sure you know all the sound is right uh, and it it just takes a little while. But and the sound quality of your podcast, by the way, are sup- is superb. Really, really well done. Well, thank yours too. <laughs> but yeah, well, I'm working on it. But yeah, that's that is the thing too for me. It's um, you know, when I like this conversation with you, it's very energizing. I love this. What 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 could be better than to sit down and talk with an AA person? I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee, glass of water, enjoying <laughs> the conversation. 
<laughs> it's I love it. And it's like it's like the best meeting that I will have all week. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, I get it. But then the part of the the editing though, yeah, because I can spend I can spend it kind of depends, but I can spend about four or six hours sometimes because I get a little ridiculous about <laughs> um trying trying to really smooth things out as best I can, leaving just the right ums right. and ahs in to make it natural. And <laughs> it's just I and some require more work than others, <laughs> yep. kind of, because I do most of these by um, by Skype, and sometimes the connection and the sound quality isn't all that great, and I really have to do my best to try to enhance that. And yeah, um, like yeah, I have so. a mic, but you know, not, I'm sure not a lot of your, or, or at least in my world, not they're they're using their earbuds and exactly, you know, they don't quite know how to get set up to where you know you have as good as quality of sound as possible and then there's sometimes a lot of pauses you know and you have to go up you kind of edit out some of the pauses and like you said the ums and all that sort of stuff but i'm sure people are completely bored with this but i'm gonna have a fun time talking to you about it (laughs) well i love i i love it but yeah and and so you know um i i went through this time i was like i was really doing really well i was like every single week but in August, um, I stopped. And what happened is I went off to this convention that we, we have these, um, secular AA conventions like every two years. And this year we, we, this time we had it in Toronto, Canada, just really wonderful. My wife and I, we drove up there from Kansas City and, uh, just had a wonderful time up there, but it kind of got me off of my rhythm. And I had a couple of these, um, recorded that I still needed to go back to edit. But something happened when I came back. I kind of, I kind of hit a wall. I kind of got a little bit depressed, I guess. And, um, I would go to edit a podcast and I just couldn't do it. It was this like the biggest effort. And I just didn't think I was ever going to break out of it. And the funny thing was, this ha- it happened at episode, after episode 99. <laughs> and so people would write me and they said, are you, are you just going to stop at 99? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but then, so then I, I reached out to my friend, Ben, uh, Ben B from, um, Omaha now. And he, I, I've done a lot of podcasts with him and I said, let's just, I just need to break out of this. Let's just record one together and just help me break out of this. So I had a really nice talk with him. Is um, Omaha now a, a secular podcast? Yeah, he's from he's from Omaha. He doesn't do a podcast or anything. He d- he does podcasts with me. He's like uh, he's like he was like a co-host for a long, long time. We went through the steps together oh. um, through our podcast, and th- those are real popular episodes, by the way. And he's just a really good friend. Um, we've done other podcasts together where we talk about a movie related to recovery, things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's just a really good friend. He's somebody I can, I can um, reach out to whenever, you know, things are getting kind of crazy. And that's what I did with him. So, and actually I'm going to put that pod, that's going to, that's, and that conversation is going to become a, a podcast. I don't know how great it's going to be because it was really me uh, <laughs> stru- reaching out to Ben for help with getting out of this rut that I was in, but it helped. Yeah. It really worked and yeah. it got, got me out of it and I'm back at it. So. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much for um, contacting me and um, educating me about your podcast. I've enjoyed the episodes that I've listened to. And I encourage all of uh, the listeners here at AA Beyond Belief to check it out. Um, Sober Speak, you know, it's a great podcast and uh, look forward to appearing on your show. We'll talk about a schedule right after we're done here. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Well, that concludes another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Thank you, John M. from Soberspeak for participating this week. If you want to learn more about John and his podcast, Soberspeak, visit the website, soberspeak.com. That's soberspeak.com.